Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. excited to be here with you today sharing some beautiful and expansive wisdom. Before we get into the meat of this episode, I'd love to take this opportunity to share with you a couple of new incredible offerings, one of which is Turned On By Life. This is a self-paced online course to take you from wanting, wishing, and waiting to Turned On By Life itself. I love this course because it encourages the participants to explore different modalities, including pieces of spiritual intimacy, embodiment, mindset, and artistic expression to create your own tantric lifestyle. Creating a tantric lifestyle has been so key for me in building a life that I am truly obsessed with. Uh, you know, to me, it all starts with this energy, this energy that brought us into the world is the energy that touches every part of our life because it is innately who we are. So this course is all about harnessing this inner power for a pleasure filled life that feels so juicy. You're left overflowing with purposeful desire. So this opportunity can be found at www.talktantratome.com and then click on the work with me tab. And another offering that can be found at the same exact place is the business magnetism mentorship. This mentorship is for you if you are desiring to step into purpose with the full confidence and assuredness of your gifts. We need your gifts. We need your light. We need as many expansive and awakened souls as possible to step into leadership, to create evidence of new earth in their lives, relationships, and businesses. So if you have a new or slow growing business or desire to start a business in the healing or expansive modalities, and you have this big vision, but are not really sure where to start or if it's even possible or just finding yourself you know, working against yourself, maybe you have imposter syndrome or an inner critic, I am here to help you get out of your own way. So for more information on that opportunity, again, www.talktantratome.com slash work with me. If you are new here, it is so great to have you. And if you are a loyal listener, welcome back and would love to hear your thoughts in the reviews. It means the world to me to hear your perspective, and your reviews also help this podcast become a bit more relevant in search results, which means that more people are able to benefit from the wisdom of spiritual intimacy. If you'd like to take an even more proactive role in awakening the collective to sacred sexuality, I'd love it if you screenshotted this podcast and shared it on your social media. And if you do so, please tag me so that I can thank you personally. Now, let's get into the episode. 
Welcome to Talk Tantra to Me. It is such an honor to be holding space for this divine knowledge to make its way into your ears and lifestyle. Today, I talk Tantra with Hinika Patel. She is the founder of the School of Sensual Arts, and I am so grateful for her content and so appreciative that she's here on the podcast to offer her perspective of living an expansive life. So thank you for being here. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the School of Sensual Arts? Thank you so much for that amazing introduction, Leila. Um, so the School of Sensual Arts is an online platform predominantly. Uh, we are leading the sensual revolution to provide the missing education on safe intimacy. And this is not maybe in the way that we might organically or originally relate to intimacy. This is the way that we relate to life. So this is kind of the threefold path of the way we relate to ourselves and connect to ourselves, the way we relate to our purpose and our work. And then of course, the way that we originally think about intimacy, the way that we uh, relate in our relationships um, and our intimate relationships. So we do this through translating ancient wisdom for modern life, modern relationships. Um, I grew up um, in the Indian kind of background and culture so a lot of these things have kind of filtered through my heritage um, so we use the vehicles of yoga and of tantra to to explore this to explore this connection to explore this intimate way of relating to life and yeah we just invite people particularly through like a community-based platform are very very big and keen on creating safe spaces for us to explore in community i think so much love and healing can happen in that space and so yeah that's the school essential arts <laughs> yeah i absolutely love it there's so many beautiful offerings live things you guys have courses as well right that are recorded yeah, yeah beautiful and just such an expansive intention and so in alignment with um, what I desire to birth into the world as well. So it's really great to just have you as an ally as well. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, how did you get into this space? How did you found um, the School of Central Arts? Yeah. What was your journey? Um, so, I mean, it's the way that I kind of explain this really, it's really important for me to look look backwards because it wasn't, yeah. I didn't kind of wake up and go, oh, it's the School of Central Arts. <laughs> you know, like most things, it's it's been a result of, you know, some of the things that I've been through. So, um, you know, I grew up in the UK. I'm a first-generation British Indian. Uh, so a lot of my time was kind of figuring out how, like, a lot of the rituals that were happening in my house why they were happening because when you grow up kind of with a western mind that's quite an inquiring mind yeah. so uh, and then in the east you kind of believe things with like unwavering faith which is totally totally beautiful but yeah a lot of my time was kind of spent kind of matching these you know why do these rituals exist and then kind of going outside and stepping up outside of my family home and being like fully in the UK. So it was like kind of this kind of code switching and always kind of being surrounded by the mantras and stuff, with my grandmother and, and all of that. So when I was age 10, my cousin was murdered. Wow. And then I experienced three subsequent deaths in my family. So between the ages of 10 to 14, it was quite a heavy load to bear, you know, those kind of teens, pre-teens kind of age. Um, and you know, the mind is kind of created, and I'll speak for myself, I um, chose unconsciously, I think, then, because didn't really have the tools to deal with that kind of grief at that age, yeah. to move from kind of living in that embodied experience of, of being a child, you know, that kind of free, loving, creative, spontaneous child, to very, very much moving into my head. Mm. So I 
you know, I was always very creative and I kind of abandoned that for fear of what would come out on the paper or what would come out when I moved and danced, you know. And I went to go and live like a life in my head pretty much. So I studied English law, I studied French law. Wow. One system in two systems. Like, what was I thinking? And then about for 10 years, you know, I really lived as if my head was a separate piece to my body because I was too scared to see like the sadness that was really, you know, from that time. And I got into, I guess, my early 20s and uh, I was living in Beijing then and um, had kind of ticked off what I thought was like, you know, the good education, good job, nice apartment stuff that a lot of us kind of, you know, follow as that kind of, um, the step-by-step process for life mm-hmm. uh, and I found myself there deeply deeply unhappy and actually deeply deeply depressed um, to the point where I couldn't uh, any longer feel my body I couldn't any longer feel my emotions um, I couldn't feel yeah my relationship to life anymore and that yeah. was a really really scary place to be um, and I kind of at that kind of breaking point, I guess I I took a decision to stop what I was doing. And that decision then led me back to the path of my ancestors, which, you know, was going back to some of these rituals that I was kind of started kind of unwrapping in that curiosity of childhood. Yeah. Um, but to actually go and find guides and teachers who would help me to bring my body back online. So that's kind of how I got got into exploring, um, you know, the rituals of tantra, of yoga, of embodiment and sacred practices regarding sensuality, because I had gone so far from that path, I needed like a serious Google Maps on how to get back to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, then I lived and explored and learnt in Asia for several years uh, before coming back to the UK and um, sharing what I share now, though that is mostly online now, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sure a lot of us listening and myself included can really resonate with this idea of using work and the mind and even relationships like as a distraction from what's actually happening inside. And I think that was a really beautiful piece of what's happened in the past few years when we've kind of been forced to stop the distraction and to look within. And again, I love that so much of your offerings are online. So they're so accessible to so many people to be able to return to themselves. So thank you for that. So you mentioned that you're, you're, um, you're living in the UK, but your parents are from India. I'm curious, did they, um, did they, expose you to some of these teachings or was it really like you had mentioned your grandmother but was it more of your journey or was it something that you feel was like in your home already yeah I think it's really combined it's a really combined thing because I you know my parents and generations and generations and generations before that uh, practice bhakti faith which is this faith of devotion right it's Mm. like this yoga of devotion it's a path of yoga and so I grew up kind of surrounded by this. Um, yeah. but it's kind of, you know, when I was growing up, I, I could see it and I was curious about it. It was colorful and it was loud and it was really like you could feel the energy of it yeah. at home. I never saw my parents not meditate any day of my entire life. Wow. So I've always been around it. But it's kind of, um, 
it was something that my parents did you yeah. know, at younger ages. And though I was taught the mantras and stuff like that, without kind of knowing what they meant or why I was doing them, I found it difficult to connect mm. to them. So that's kind of where that big disconnect came for yeah. like 10, 15 years where I just kind of abandoned the practices, I would say. Uh, and it wasn't until I, you know, I experienced this real deep cause for, for, for searching and for healing what mm-hmm. was happening with my body because I looked on Google and Google didn't tell me <laughs> how to heal my body and how to turn my, you know, my yoni back online. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that I needed to go and find these answers for myself. And so that's kind of where my own path started with it. So I'd say there was like a foundation from my childhood, but then like, more like kind of research and and self-study later on in my life. I love that. And I love that you touched on this piece of like the color and the story. And um, one of the things I really love about your content, you've done a few uh, reels or pieces on the connection between the deities and the tantric values and practices. And uh, I would love for you to speak into that a little bit. Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, sure. So I loved this question. So I actually wanted to share this like a uh, little paragraph from uh, a Buddhist Lama. So it's the Tantric path of Buddhism. Yeah. And it really, really explains it really well. So I thought his words kind of better than mine. <laughs> Love it. So um, it's from an introduction to Tantra, a vision of totality from 1987. And he says that Tantric meditational deities should not be confused uh, with what different mythologies and religions might mean when they speak of gods and goddesses. Here, the deity we choose to identify with represents the essential qualities of the fully awakened experience latent within us. So to use the language of psychology, which I'm also super, super interested in a deity is an archetype of our own deepest nature our most profound level of consciousness in tantra we focus our attention on such archetypal image uh, like these you know these beautiful images of the gods and the goddesses and we identify with them in order to arouse the deepest most profound aspects of our being and bring them into our present reality so that to me explains why we have all these amazing beautiful gods and goddesses because they they are for every type of us at every stage of Mm -hmm. life to relate to and to learn from um and i just when i when i realized that that's when it really clicked for me like this is this is something that i can really relate to like i'm not aspiring to be something or someone or anything other than my the best version that i can be of myself the most conscious the most caring the most loving and, yeah. and these are these images these deities they are reflections so they're yeah. something that i can learn from and so that's kind of where the that's where we that's where we see these deities in, in the Tantric practice and i think yeah i just thought i just thought that quote was such a good way of um of sharing what it means because it's quite like a hypothetical thing I think yeah when you see these and you're like okay but like what does that have to do with tantra and 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 that's the thing it's about tantra is really this like unwrapping of yourself from the inside Mm. out and so we use also the outsides to kind of wrap ourselves in as well it's like this multi-functional multi-dimensional relationship that we have with with life so um there's one more thing actually ah yes so there's a couple of ways that you can kind of use the deities um and often if you're working with um 
a guru or a teacher, they will they will gift you or give you a, a deity to work with based on your personality or what, where you are in your life in that moment. But even if you know you find that you connect to a particular deity, then you can you know start to see and perceive your body as the sacredness created mm. of that deity. You know, you can um, perceive your surroundings as as like a mandala of an, as a as an environment or the circle of that deity. You can perceive you know your pleasure, your happiness as a bliss from that deity and you can perceive your pain you can perceive disappointment as opportunities to connect to the lessons of that deity so it's kind of this different layers I would say that you can use to connect to to the spirit of yeah which is the spirit of yourself the spirit of your heart I love that. To me, so much of my practice is around like making love to each moment of my life. And so many of these gods and goddesses have various rituals associated with them. And even the yoga postures that you you shared have these, I didn't realize this, they have these whole myths related to a yoga posture. And it's incredible to consider like bringing that energy into a physical practice as well so I absolutely love that about what you're offering as well and I'm curious what gods or goddesses are you feeling really aligned with in this moment yeah absolutely Uh, I mean I'm a I'm a lover of Durga because mm-hmm. you know that we have this festival that I grew up with called Navratri, which is a tantric festival, which is nine nights of the goddess, and it's like nine dark nights of the goddess. But um, it's a it's this festival of like, uh, how can I explain it? I could really just visualize it. It's lots of people dan- uh, dancing in traditional like Indian wear in a big circle using repetitive movements, right? And uh, these repetitive movements are kind of like very fast, actually, like your feet pound the floor and they're yeah. this like shuck the energy in your body. And it's you can kind of fall into a trance through this repetition and the music and the movement. And the center of, you know, this, uh, this festival, what everyone is dancing around, it used to be a lamp. And this lamp represented the goddess Durga. Mm-hmm. The lamp also represented the womb. So these people, thousands of people around the world are really devoting themselves to the sacredness of the womb, the sacredness wow. of the divine feminine, the sacredness of creation. And, um, you know, over time that lamp evolved into sculptures and statues. And when I was growing up, that was the goddess Durga. So I would kind of peek in between, um, you know, the dancing hips and I would see this incredible goddess sitting you know on a on a lion and in one hand she held a lotus flower and in the other hand she held a dagger and I was like wow <laughs> like, yeah so many and she also had tons more hands and um I resonate with her because of like the mythological story as well that I learned afterwards mm-hmm. so that was kind of a first attraction and I think when you see different gods and goddesses you will have your own attraction you know the same way that you you might walk down the street and you're attracted to someone Mm -hmm. you don't know why like there's something unconscious in you that's like there's a soul here that I want to connect with yeah and I think it's the same it's like you know it's like different gods and goddesses attract you and um so yeah with goddess Durga as well so she kind of the mythological story around her is that uh okay one one kind of thing that I actually say before I kind of share any mythological story is that um mythological stories are not about whether they are true or not 
because they're very creative. Yeah. They're more about what is true for you. Mm. So if you're listening to this thinking like, what demon, like that can't be real, then just think about what that demon represents for you. Yeah. Or think about what lessons that could have for you in the story. Okay, so now, <laughs> so the story of Goddess Durga is that uh, there was a demon that was kind of wreaking havoc on earth um, and this demon had been gifted uh, a boon which is kind of like well, a gift from from uh, Brahma which is like the god of creation that said that he was invincible and he was invincible because he did such uh, such hardcore meditation like stood under a tree for like months and months and months years and years and years with like his arm up or something right he did some serious serious meditation you can if you go to india you can see people doing this kind of meditation it's fascinating still but anyway back to the story so he was gifted this boon that he would be invincible by the gods and was wreaking total havoc on earth and decided he was going to go up to the gods and wreak havoc up there too so upon this happening the gods realized they had absolutely no power they could not combat this thing that was wreaking havoc everywhere like destroying everything mm. um and so they called upon the goddess Durga, and they surrendered a part of their power their shakti we call the divine the divine feminine shakti from themselves and they gifted it to her so each of the hands that you see from the goddess Durga is actually holding a gift from each of the different gods like the gods of the winds the gods of the sun the gods of destruction the gods of preservation and um she is she goes down to earth on on that lion like that yeah. lion that i saw in, like as a child in the middle of that festival you know and um this demon he's like he thinks it's a joke he's like no one can conquer me you know i'm the invincible i have this boon <laughs> and so um he's he kind of jokes and tries to flirt with her instead and says why don't you just marry me and you'll be the most powerful woman in the world and um she kind of takes one look at him and totally slays like totally slays and and beats this demon and the earth is then kind of uh resumed so it's kind of natural equilibrium of peace the demon is slayed and the gods can go back to being happy up where they are too but this is really really a story of the the power of the divine feminine to me and i think yeah. this is really like this is like the story that i needed to bring my body back online when i was searching for it you know so this is the one i love to share i adore that thank you for sharing it I was feeling so many like waves coming from my heart as you were sharing it and just tickling down my body and um, I appreciate that bit of activation you offered so beautiful story and thank you for your vulnerability and sharing you know how it resonated as well and I love that you also connected this piece on you know, take what resonates with you and whatever doesn't, you know, let it go. But there's, there's medicine, you know, for everyone in, in these spaces, which is beautiful. And what I love about Tantra is that there's no right or wrong, really. It's really about like, what is your highest truth and what um, feeling or being will bring you closer to that. So yeah, absolutely. And we can be so creative with the way that we we do that. You know, for some of us, it's stories. For some of us, it's dance. For some of us, it's meditation. For some of us, it's cycling. Like, yeah. there's so many different ways that we can connect. Yeah. So many different ways. And that's, that's so that's a beautiful, like, embracing thing of the path of Tantra. Like, every moment can be your meditation. Mm -hmm. There's so much medicine in realizing that in itself. Absolutely.
Yes, I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about sensuality. As the School of Sensual Arts founder, you are really the authority in this space. And I have people ask me this question all the time. What is the difference between sensuality and sexuality? And I have my answer that I give, but I feel really curious about yours because of yeah, the space that you operate in. Yeah, amazing. I think it's such a, like, it's a nuance, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. there's totally a relation between these these two fields. Um, and so I would say, like, first, like, the dictionary definitions of these things, like, just to help from, like, a framework perspective, and then yeah. I'll kind of give my metaphorical way that I like to explain things afterwards. But sexuality in itself is your capacity for sexual feeling. So it's, like, it's the way that you are able to relate to your desire, like your appetite for your for your sexuality, for mm. um, for interaction, for for having sex, right? And um, who you are attracted to comes into that. So your sexual orientation um, and understanding these elements of desire inside yourself. So I'd say it's kind of like that inner force that goes out and like bites the apple, right? It's yeah. like this, uh, you know, this animal energy inside of us. And sensuality is also another appetite, but it's just a different kind of appetite. So um, your sensuality is your appetite, your capacity for enjoyment. So it's like your the way that you like express things, the way that you pursue pleasure, uh, the way that you might experience the world through your senses. So like sensuality, yeah. senses. There we go. So <laughs> both are kind of different types of pleasure, and um, I guess in kind of my interpretation of it, and I have absolutely no judgment on sexuality-based practices or sensuality-based practices. Um, I think both are beautiful, both are equally needed in the world in their own ways. You know, we need to have our animal urges um, satisfied, as well as our sensual, soft, loving urges. And um, both have different purposes uh, for which they fulfill. And I think like the, the intimate, the kind of metaphor that I like to work with when I'm kind of understanding for myself this question because I love food so I love to speak about food through yes <laughs> right um so when we're working with sex or when we are kind of satisfying our sexual hunger I would say then it's kind of like it can be kind of like a quick outburst for example mm. like, oh my god I'm hungry I need to eat now let me eat oh, done right so it's kind of like let's say the equivalent of going to like a fast food chain you're really hungry you see one on the corner you pull up you take a bite you finish the burger and then like two hours later you're kind of hungry yeah it kind of comes back right and then sensuality is kind of like going to a nice restaurant and you know you go into that nice restaurant and you've already started eating because you're taking in like the way that they've created the room, you're taking in, um, you know, the candle on the table, you're taking in the way they present the food on the plate before you've even put it into your mouth. And then you put it into your mouth and you get the textures and the colors and the flavors. And this is the kind of sensuality side. So it's this kind of total slowing down, I would say, yeah. one of the major differences between the both. Um, and and I hope that food metaphor kind of helped to understand it because <laughs> that's what I think of. And I think that, I think there's, you know, in school we have sex education, which is usually like fear-based. Yeah. Right? But we don't really have like sensual education, which is 
still another way that we connect with other human beings. It's just we have no education around it. <laughs> so that's kind of why I created the School of Sensual Arts, because I was like, I have no idea how to do that when I'm making love, you know, to experience love the way that you experience a fine dining seven course menu, right? Yeah. Like just, you just don't know how to do that because what you see in movies is like a 60 second clip of sex. So you think, oh, sex should last 60 seconds and I should be turned on like that because they are. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just not real, is it? So, um, so that's, I think that's, that's what I perceive as the differences between both yeah I absolutely love the food metaphor delicious here for it <laughs> and also this piece on wow our collective is evolving at this super fast rate and there's like such fast education and like quick images and movies and all the things and what would it look like to remember and to evolve our intimacy with our collective you know evolution and to me um I see what you're doing what you're bringing into the world is so much of that like coming back to the body and remembering how to um bring intention into intention and presence really into each moment and create this space for pleasure and for presence to you know move into it so beautiful yeah yeah, absolutely. It's a lot about slowing down the work yeah. that we do, definitely. And it, it's really funny because my partner is always like, God, you take so long to eat. <laughs> like, I'm always the last one on the table. And I think, like, well, it's kind of like, you know, my, my school is kind of an embodiment of me. So it's like, it's really yeah. being slow and like enjoying that. <laughs> and when we apply that to, you know, the reason why we, we don't say like we only work with sensuality because you can't kind of choose which switches to turn on. You can't go, I'm only going to work with my sensuality. Like if you want to work with the sensuality, then we're opening ourselves to the whole spectrum of emotions that are available to us. All of the energies and, um, you know, experiences that we have had. So we can't kind of open the door a little bit. We open the door a lot. And that's why we have to go slowly so that we create safety for us to experience this pleasure. Because yeah. if we're like, boom, one to a hundred, which, you know, some places offer, then that can be also a lot. You know, there's a there's a big thing in the spiritual scene of like, let's just offer people like as many hardcore cathartic practices in the same moment. Yeah. And it's like, but are we prepared to see that quickly? <laughs> and so... Um, you know, I think through my own trainings and stuff, I experienced that. And so what I wanted to do when I created an offering was to offer like a deep safety, a deep, mm. deep safety for people wanting to explore their sensuality and all the other stuff that comes with that. Um, and that comes through taking time with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you specifically speak into this piece on safety and that's such a foundation piece of my work as well of you know taking the time like when I work with someone one-on-one -on -one in a container my sessions are three to four hours which is like not like I, I will not do a session that's less than three hours I just won't do it because to me it's so important to take the time to allow the body to land and to welcome in the spirit and to welcome in the divinity as well um so yeah, it's really beautiful that this is something that you're making so accessible to so many more people as well. Thank you. 
You're welcome. So I'd love to also touch in on this piece of going back to kind of your background and um, the more classic form of Tantra and how it's evolved in, you know, India and also now, you know, spread all over the world. And, you know, you're obviously in the UK and bringing this medicine into that space. And I'm curious what, you know, what to you is the difference between cultural appropriation versus culture, cultural appreciation, especially when it comes to Tantra. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for asking this. Cause it's definitely like a, I speak about this a lot, you know, online yeah. and, um, and really that's kind of, that was kind of the beginning of, you know, a lot of my work in this space because, um, I, I basically kind of going back to, you know, my journey of kind of learning these tools, I was learning them firstly from like the foundation of my family and then secondly through the foundations that I was creating through teachers and, and gurus and sannyasins in India and um, Asia. So when I came back to the UK um, and, you know, I started kind of laying my, you know, my ground, I guess, and kind of starting to understand how wellness yeah. worked here and started teaching, you know, just like, your weekly yoga classes, right? Mm -hmm. When you're trying to get to know a, a community. And um, what I was quite surprised to find was that a lot of the studios that I was teaching in were saying, like, leave out that stuff. Like, leave out the chakras, leave out the ulm. Really? Yeah, leave out, um, you know, they were like, that's that's not ne that's not needed. That's not, you know, that's not the practice. That's not what we want kind of thing. Yeah. And that was really difficult because it's, for me, it's like, it's not just, it's not just leave out the practices. It's like leave out that part of my identity, mm. which was really like um, jarring, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and also like, I didn't want to teach something that felt empty to me. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like offering someone an empty cup of water when I knew that there was like something really hydrating that could be in there. Like, and, and so that was kind of, I held that in my heart for a long time, to be honest, I didn't speak about it. Mm. It was like kind of, and no one else was speaking about it either. Like yeah. it was just a very like, Oh, this is just how it is. Like, you know, maybe I just have to change the way that I teach and this is what people want here. And then I think, um, there was a, you know, there's a, a big, big movement after, uh, you know, in lockdown through the Black Lives Matter movement, through the riots that were happening, everyone was suddenly looking inside, had this time to look inside. And when I looked inside, I found this piece that was like, oh my God, what have I been doing? Like, why haven't I shared this? You know, and so my kind of, my angle on it was always to kind of educate what people might be missing. In mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, when you Google Tantra, all you find is that it is only about sex, yeah. right? And, um, you know, just to give like the, like the historical background, it was created in a time when, um, when the caste system was very, very prevalent. And it kind of came around as this very, very revolutionary um, act and practice. And it didn't come around as a religion because it's, yeah. it was kind of way beyond that. It's the thought and the philosophy of it is way beyond constraining. It's a lifestyle. That's, yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. that's what was happening at the time through the caste system, which was very like sincere and austere and like things had to be done a particular way and only like the highest caste could practice spirituality and um, everything was very like, um, 
categorized, you could say society was very categorized. And when Tantra came around, this is around like when it was codified around sixth century, it said, um, you know, if you practice Tantra, then you forget all of that. And it, cre- it created this weaving, like this weaving of all of the spiritual practices that were kind of happening and kind of used it as a, as a body, as a vehicle for everyone yeah. to experience. And 1% of these practices, right, like 1% in the entire ocean of Tantra, as my teacher told me, um, are the sexual practices. So it's yeah. not to say that sexual practices are not in the practice. It's just that they were given to very higher level practitioners who had already understood a lot about their energy, their mind, their body, yeah. um, and, and had, had had years of practice with a teacher, mm-hmm. who would then kind of share with them that they were ready to go in to experience the sexual energy because it's a very intensive energy to work with. Yeah. Um, and then I think, I think what happened is like, whoa, there's something that deals with sex. Let's make it all about sex. And yeah. then it kind of got repackaged and repurposed as this sex cult, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a shame because the other 99% of the practice that then, you know, moved and weaved its way into Buddhism and the rest of Asia, uh, they get forgotten. And there's so much, you know, we've been talking about that here. There's so much medicine about connection, about healing, about going into our experiences rather than detaching from them. Um, but, but yeah, that just get lost. And yeah. so, yeah, my piece is educating people around what's missing rather than making anyone feel bad about this yeah. is not Tantra and this is and da 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 because everything is Tantra, right? The whole world is Tantra. Yes. Just, yeah, right? <laughs> so it's just, Amen. It's just, it's just sharing like, hey, like there's this, there's this thing that yeah. really helpful. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I, I take on it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. To me, it's just clearly this tool in the toolbox, right? And when I – how I discovered Tantra was I was on my own, you know, journey with mindfulness and I was doing yoga and meditation and it was great. And I was starting to feel this aliveness coming up within me, but there was also this like – part that wasn't being addressed, which was my sexual trauma and my relationship to my body and my relationships, like, you know, connecting with others, you know, and intimacy. And then I discovered that Tantra covered all of it. Like it was holistic. Like it kept all of the pieces that were already working for me in terms of mindfulness and movement, but it also allowed me to address the energy that brought me into the world, which is, you know, Kundalini or arrows. Um, and I love that about this world is it, 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 it recognizes that this energy is really the fabric of our reality, but it can touch all parts of our reality, not just, you know, the meeting of two people in a bedroom, you know? So I love that about this world as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it helps us to look at things that, um, you know, because a lot of a lot of the practices and a lot of the faiths and traditions around the world say, like, they, rec- they actually recognize that this is a really powerful energy. That's why it's banned. That's why it's like, yeah. you know, no sex before marriage and, like, there's shame around sensuality and sexuality because it's like we all know innately as human beings like this is a powerful energy this is how we were made 
Yeah. And I think what Tantra does is it says, okay, we recognize that this is a powerful energy. So let's, let's like catch a sail on the boat and harness it and learn how to harness it. So yeah. We can use it. And um, we can use it for our sexual experiences to grow deeper. And we can use it for our creative experiences yeah. to grow deeper because they're so incredibly entwined. Um, and, and I think this is, this is amazing because it's really the path of, not repressing anything and and that's that's really the piece that that got got me hooked into like we look at things we really really look at things and we go into them yeah I love that and I totally resonate as well I feel like I can be all of who I am and all of who I'm becoming in the world of tantra whereas in other places I felt like not everything was welcome or I couldn't create my own path um, so I adore that. And I'm curious your perspective on how Tantra is existing in India specifically and like in the regions in which it was really birthed. I spoke with uh, a beautiful woman, Orja, um, who lives in Mumbai and we spoke about adornment as a spiritual practice and, you know, talked about some of the, the deities as well. And she lives there and she listens to my podcast and was expressing so much how like she can't really like talk to all of her friends about Tantra or like there's a lot of fear around it as a practice or as like even a black magic. Um, yeah. What What is your perspective on that? Have you witnessed similar things or? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, when I kind of first going in, first started going into the Tantric practices more deeply, one of the questions that my mom asked me was like, are you turning into a witch? And I was quite surprised by, by that because I was like, you are also doing these practices. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but she just didn't know them under the term, the umbrella, Tantra. Uh -huh. Like things that we did. And so in India, like I think in the West, it's kind of Tantra is known as sex. And then in India, it's known as black magic. Yeah. And like where these practices originated, um, you know, they were, they were from the people that are outcasted from society. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people were kind of people that, you know, were around the burial grounds, it worked around the cremation grounds. And these people were known as um, the untouchables. So they're called Avarna, like the caste system is Varna. And then Avarna is like, you're not even in the caste system. Wow. So these are the peoples where like the kind of grassroots of the Bantric practice. And some of those practices, you know, because we were saying, we go in Tantra, we go into experiences rather than avoid them. So some of the practices that they had created in this kind of ocean of tantra is to confront one of the things that we fear the most across humanity death that we would go into the crematorial grounds and that we would meditate on the bodies of those who have died and so you know as soon as this like found out this is again whoa this is a really like crazy practice like you're doing this and you must be doing that and yeah and it gets kind of whipped away into this like black magic type um thing so it's interesting because it's like both the east and the west have their own perceptions of them yeah and it's kind of like no one can really put their finger on like where it really lands and i think that is also because it's a very personal thing absolutely right? so we each experience it in a in a different way as soon as we know what the concepts are and how we relate to it mm -hmm. so yeah, but I love I love that she said through the art of adornment because I love that and I that's what one of my teachers actually said to, to me like 
in one of my trainings, I did uh, Tantra Sacred Dance, which is all about like the ancient temple dances that they that they used to have, where you know people would gather to receive the wisdom from a woman's body that she would receive through beautiful movement and music. And actually, I shouldn't even say beautiful because it's any movement, right? Yeah. It's what the people would would receive from witnessing. Uh, and in this training, um, uh, my teacher then, who was a sannyasin um, of Osho, said, like, you must show up every day, like, fully embodied in adornment, like, in, in like a deep respect for yourself, like, mm. wearing dresses, if that what makes you feel amazing. And I invite that in even each Shakti circle that we share. Yeah. It's like, if we invite the divine into us through things that we cherish and through things that we love, then like we're already setting ourselves up as like this open invite to experience it. Um, and so I love that. I love the art of adornment. <laughs> yeah. I love, it's such a powerful message, especially when there are so many lineages of spirituality that kind of teach you or like assert that you need to live this monk like existence with like no pleasure or enjoyment so I love that about this space and in terms of the conversation around what has created this like fear around tantra to me this like modality has not escaped the influence of patriarchy and capitalism which benefit from us being disempowered a lot of the time and um, to me, I feel like some of the more like some of the most beautiful parts of this space have been lost because of those fears. Um, so it's just another thing, you know, to speak into. But um, I love how this conversation has evolved and I'm feeling like we've got some great pieces for people and we can begin to wrap up. I have a couple of, you know, last questions for you, but I'm just curious if you have anything else you want to add before I go into those. Um, yeah, no, just thank you so much for having me. I hope if you're listening to this that something that we've shared has resonated with you or yeah. inspired you or, um, you know, will we'll make you curious to explore this path as one of your own. I know it's been super, super just touching for me to, yeah. to experience myself and um, I love to speak about it. So, you know, if you have any questions for, for me on, on what you've heard, then I'm really, really open to, to sharing with you as well. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. Uh, so one of my last questions, this is a bonus question that I ask all my guests, what awakens your arrows? What turns you on? What makes you feel erotically or sensually alive? Oh, amazing. Okay, so I have, I can't believe this is another food metaphor, but I have something that I call the biting point, which is actually not referring to biting food. It's actually like this space in between, like feeling nothing at all and feeling um, like super, super intense emotions. So it's kind yeah. of like, I don't know if you've driven like manual cars in the UK, we all drive manual cars. So yeah. it's like this point where you put your foot just on the accelerator so that you can kind of just before you catch it yeah. and, and and I love that space I love exploring that space because it's kind of just outside the comfort zone mm. and that really really turns me on because it's like um yeah it's exciting it's like exciting and that really turns me on and recently I have just explored like cold water wild water swimming and oh my gosh that is the biting queen like, uh, the waters are freezing and you just cannot help to be like 
full-bodied awakened you know when you dip yourself into cold waters of like a lake or water yeah so I would say something like that some some interactions with nature with water also yeah I love that. I have an upcoming episode. It's one that I just speak into the idea of like playing with your edges, like finding your edge and then seeing it's not crossing a boundary. It's like, where is my edge that I can expand into? So I love that. Um, and where can people find or support you? What are what's happening in your world? Yeah, so I'd say um, the main place that I myth bust and talk taboos and stuff like that around tantra and yoga and sensuality would be my Instagram, so uh, Hanika Patel, and um, though it's spelled with an E, so it's P-E-T-A-L, because uh, my name is taken. So, <laughs> so it's Henning Patel on Instagram, um, and then we have the School of Central Arts itself. So, um, you, it's schoolofcentralarts.co.uk, and we have a couple of different things that we run there. So, we have our online tantra yoga community. This is where you will get like three love letters delivered to your inbox with uh, practices from different teachers, embodiment practices that share everything from sacred sound and mantra to asana and meditation, uh, pranayama. So um, this is, and, and a little bite of philosophy as well. And kind of the key part of this is that you're connected to people around the world who are taking the same classes. So mm. we have a lot of like reflection and sharing after the classes to integrate them. Um, that's kind of all through the year. And it's, it's amazing. You know, we've had people with us for like three, four years. It's incredible. Um, and then we have our Dantric date night. So if you're interested in experiencing this kind of slower sense of sensuality and picking up some tools on how you can use that in your relationship, then I invite you to the date night. And we have two of those. Um, and it's just, it's a really fun experience. Like it's a fun way to grow closer to your partner. Yeah. Um, but it's also a way of learning how to communicate without words, which is also quite fun I think <laughs> um, so that's a thumbstick date night um, we then have a course, a course on cultural uh, appreciation for yoga and then we have our monthly Shakti circles so these are like around the full moon time new moon time if you look up into the sky you'll know when the event is uh, and this is where we share uh, some of the tantric uh, rituals so we'll have embodiment exercises uh, intention setting for the new cycle and really kind of just a space to go in and connect before you go back out into the world and go off to do whatever you want to do for the next month so it's a really good space for check-in i would say and, and if you want a taste of tantra then then i'd say that's a good place to start so that's me <laughs> so many incredible opportunities i love it do yeah. you do any like in-person things retreats or otherwise yeah so you know we're working on moving that online space offline so we are starting to uh, offer retreats so watch cool. the space sign up to the newsletter for our retreats uh we've been doing day retreats now we're moving into weekends and weeks and we'll be doing them in different places around the world so i love we'll it catch you, uh, wherever you are if you have any requests for us to come to you then then obviously let me know <laughs> and um yeah i would love to love to love to love to bring this more into the person as well because mm -hmm. an even deeper level of, of connection can happen in that space as well so yes watch the space and um can't wait to to meet some of you hopefully and um thank you Leo, for having me as well 
Yeah. Thank you again, Henka, for joining me today. And I also want to express my gratitude to the listener. Thank you once more for opening yourself up to the idea of sacred sexuality. With so much gratitude and love, have a sexy and spiritual day. And I'll catch you next week on Talk Tantra to Me. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.